Section four of the Daredevil of the Army Experiences as a Buzzer and Dispatch Rider by Austin Patrick Cocorin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two The Author Assists at a Victory and Abandons His Bike for Better Things. Part two Come here said the officer in perfect english he approached and once more they went through his pockets then he was ordered to take off his clothes i thought the brutes only meant to make their search more thorough so of course i complied very promptly while i was doing it one of their soldiers at a sign from the officer ran up to a motor lorry took off a bundle and brought it over to me and can you guess what was in it i give up a german private's uniform harrison stops for a moment as if the memory were too much for him even when they ordered me to put it on he says i could scarcely realize what it meant can you think of me fighting on their side I suppose they were too far from their base or something to send me back, but fancy putting me in one of their beastly coats, and God, how those brutes treated me! Too frank, too courageous to pretend any friendship, he glared at the men round. I can imagine the look on his young, haughty face. An Englander! how they were hating us just then but there was nothing for him to do but obey orders so with a german pack on his back and the kaiser's cap on his head he started on his weary march for a while goes on harrison i was wild with anger but they soon cured me of that i swung round once when someone laughed behind me but a prick of a bayonet brought me to my senses then someone kicked me in the shins and another spat at me i turned on him and a howl went up but a sharp order from the rear stopped that and then they began growling like a pack of surly dogs dogs he spits the word out viciously that's the only fit name for them lord if our officers treated us as theirs treat them we'd mutiny at least i would a nurse comes in just at this point and notices harrison's flushed face she threatens to separate us if there is any more excitement bad for his head she whispers to me i suppose she is right but i am longing for the end of his story i get it along in the afternoon i don't know how many days we were marching he says to me it seemed like years of course i was alone all the time they gave me food but i had to eat by myself they treated me as if i had the plague do you think he asks me earnestly we'd be as rotten as that if we had one of them in such a fix and not a smoke all the time 
i wonder they didn't starve me or stick a bayonet through me sometimes i felt like doing it myself i'm surprised i didn't when i look back on it but i suppose we all like to be alive this is a very much older harrison than the boy i met last then he was eighteen now he's thirty we were way back of the fighting most of the time he goes on though we could always hear the din of the guns then one day it seemed to come very near next i heard the shrapnel again and then the ping of bullets so i knew we were nearing the real fighting finally about three o'clock on an afternoon i saw a village in the distance through the shade of thick trees and i realized that there was a battle on in that town god it was good to know that you were somewhere near even if i was on the wrong side of the line then began his real ordeal he had re-entered the fight in the midst of a street scrap one of those contests in which the houses on opposite sides of a street form the lines for the opposing troops almost before i realized what was happening i found myself in a house it was dark they had closed those long french shutters but presently i was close up beside one through the cracks i could see the street very narrow and clouded with smoke i kept on peering through they had forgotten me in the excitement suddenly a head bobbed up on the opposite side a tommy i could have shrieked with delight but the next instant a red-black spot appeared on his forehead and then the head disappeared they'd shot him the brutes how i loathed them harrison stops for a moment and there comes a glare in his eye i'm afraid he's getting excited i feel i ought to stop him but i dread the coming of the nurse the glare dies down and i am relieved in its place comes a look of determination i just made up my mind then he says that i would not stay with them i guessed that they'd kill me if i tried to get across but i decided to risk it anyway the door of the house had been blown open by a shell this gave him his chance he moved towards it and presently caught sight of a window on the opposite side from which glass and frame had been shot out sprint across and climb through that was his programme no one was watching me he explains and i'm a pretty good runner so i tucked my head under my arm and dived into the street for a moment no one fired each side probably dumbfounded by the sight of this man dashing through no man's land then rip rip spoke up the bullets from both sides but the moment had been enough he was almost across he felt a tickling sensation in his shoulder a stab in his right foot but he managed to muster up his energy i'm british british 
he shouted for the benefit of his own side don't shoot by now the others had recognized him too late however he had dived through the window and was safe on his own ground when i woke he finishes i was in hospital and here i am again for five weeks they keep me in the hospital part of the time in bed part hobbling round on crutches i learn to be thankful that i am not crippled for life while harrison is with me we have excellent sport there is one person who plays poker and another who is learning golf each day the latter comes home with a tall story of some extraordinary stroke that he has mastered finally one fine morning he invites us all out to watch him and we stroll out to the nine-hole course after much hemming and hawing, primping and prancing he swings something hurtles through the air for a moment he watches it with the critical eyes of an expert then turns to us triumphantly well what do you say to that we say nothing but our glance travels significantly but silently to the earth his follows there at his feet lies the ball perplexed he looks at his stick the head is missing in deference to his cloth i refrain from repeating his comment but that afternoon he deserts the links for the tennis court soon it is discovered that harrison's wound is not healing properly so they send him to his native english air i am chumless and consequently rather cheerless what an appallingly monotonous thing convalescence can be this early to bed early to rise existence may be healthy but it fails entirely to appeal to me i begin to long even for the roar of a jack johnson so when at last i get my orders to march once more i leave with a light heart my wound i find has placed me in the veteran class so my duties are to be easy for a time i am sent to the signal depot at abbeville to act as instructor to recently arrived rookies all morning i lecture to them on such diverse matters as their duty the difficulty of being hygienic under fire how they may accomplish the first and overcome the latter in the afternoon with the aid of maps we plot out a line of our own we pick different points to represent different brigades each about two or three miles apart then i distribute fake messages and find out how long it will take the novices to deliver them and return to their base some prove to be splendid messenger boys others get the opportunity of returning to england with the option of transferring to another branch of the service or doing a clerical job at home but these latter are few and far between 
however this job does not last long soon i am in excellent condition a fact of which the authorities make me aware by informing me that i am to report to a brigade stationed outside st alloy i am in no hurry now to get to the line so i dawdle luxuriously along the road a beautiful wooded road over which the sun is shining amiably why must men mar such scenes with smoke and fearful slaughter you see i have lost all my enthusiasm for the noble art of war at st paul i stop off for a good night's rest and a visit to a local movie house i see charlie chaplin in the children's auto race and laugh at it with all the abandon of a regular fan next morning i am on the road by six o'clock and by eight i have arrived at my new station the hooge show has about begun so i am plunged into the thick of it promptly the first day i ride to ypres the sight of which fails to revive in me any respect for the great god mars but not until next morning do my troubles really begin it is august the first on which date we lost a recently achieved position by an overpowering attack of gas for the first time in my life i am made familiar with a gas mask not the ingenious contrivance which our troops wear now but a home-made variety that is anything but comfortable it consists of a piece of saturated cotton wool tied up in a strip of gauze which is strapped over the nose and mouth i record a mental resolution that law or no law no dog of mine will ever again be subjected to the indignity of a muzzle but i have seen some men already writhing in an agony of suffocation so i submit to my mask without demur i am inclined to think however that it affected my sight as well as my sensation else how account for the accident that presently overtook me i have just rounded the bend of a road yawning in front of me is a shell pit large enough the lord knows to be seen even by a blind man yet it escapes my notice until forcibly thrust on it plop i go into it again on top of my machine which this time succumbs under my weight i have probably put on a few pounds in that excellent hospital anyway the front wheel crumples up like so much cardboard i get to my destination on foot and return by the same method to be met by an irate officer who gives me a very sound rating for the negligence to which he attributes my mishap didn't i know that it was a new machine and very precious he gives me another and dismisses me with a message and a warning i start off in a downpour of rain and am not more than half an hour on the road 
when I come plump into a five-ton truck. I try to pass it, on the wrong side of the road. To punish me, it crowds me into the ditch. In spite of the warning, I prefer my own safety to that of the machine. I jump clear, and the back wheel of the truck passes over the gearbox of the bike, which also crumples up like so much cardboard. I am debating the desirability of footing the rest of the journey, or commandeering the truck on the spot, when I perceive another motorcycle approaching. The rider is good enough to give me a lift. I deliver my message, and once more return to my headquarters on foot. And oh, the dusting down I get now! My officer, recently arrived and in consequence most conscientious, threatens to report me for carelessness. How I should like to be that man's superior for a few minutes. I'd teach him to treat veterans with a little more deference. The worst of it is that I know he is quite right, and I am very conscious of the fact that for a seasoned cyclist I am doing very badly. However, circumstance forces him to entrust another bike to my bad hands. This time I am sent to a small village on the north of Ypres. I get through safely, and am about to leave the signal office when someone stops me. Would I take a message to a battery commander located in a dugout on the main road midway between this point and Hooge? I agree, of course, on the one condition that my brigade is notified as to my delay. En route, I become painfully conscious of the extraordinary activity of the Bosch guns. The shells whir over my head at the rate of sixty to the second. I cover my mile or two at about the same speed. I get through, get my receipt, and return in safety. The incident passes from my mind. Pass four or five days with the same dangerous routine. These are hot times for the town of Hooge. At the end of this time, our brigade is relieved, and we retire without reluctance for a rest. It is a couple of mornings later that a large and hirsute sergeant major wakes me up with the message that I am to report at eight sharp to the brigade signal officer. What for? Don't know, but you'd better not be late. That sounds promising, and sets my brain to work. Had that blankety-blank rookie officer reported me, after all? If he had, well, I only hoped that we would both survive the war, and that the gods would be kind enough to make his path lie near mine. Nothing for it, however, but to report in time. I do so. The officer looks me over. Oh, you're Kokoran. Yes, sir. His tone relieves my tension. Well, at 8.30 you're to see the brigade major. See that you get there on time. More mysteries. Again I report promptly, 
and once again am met with a smile you've been recommended for a commission he informs me amiably i suppose i look puzzled for he adds the explanation for good work carrying dispatches under fire the commission he goes on is to take effect from august the seventeenth it is now august the twentieth he shakes my hand and wishes me all sorts of good luck i depart extremely perplexed what else have i been doing since the beginning of this business but carrying dispatches under fire what else had i been doing when i received my wound i decide that strange are the ways of the war office while i am deciding it my feet lead me involuntarily to the signal office where the signal officer is still sitting i put the problem up to him he smiles do you remember he asks on august the first delivering a dispatch to a battery commander outside hooge of course i do but what of it well he explains you may not be aware of the fact but six men had tried to carry it before you and every single one of them was killed good lord the ejaculation comes out unconsciously there can be no doubt of the fact that ignorance often brings bliss thus unwittingly and involuntarily do i become a hero in spite of myself thanks be to mars he is henceforth my friend next morning august the twenty first i receive my discharge and am sent back to england for an officer's training automatically my commission is in the signal service of the royal engineers my orders are to report on arrival at the signal depot at benny stratford where i find lieutenant colonel lister as officer commanding at the time he grants me five days leave in which i may see my friends and get my new uniform i rush down to devonshire where my people are just then and live for the first three days in a blur of handshaking hugging kissing questioning from which i finally escape to london follows a hectic time with the tailor a round of dining and dancing i find no let up in the old life here but oh how the good time flies then on the fifth morning togged out in my new trim dress i report for duty at my station i have quite decided of course by this time that i shall have at least four months at home they can't turn out completed officers in a shorter period than that so i begin to plan for myself all sorts of pleasant surprises let all those eager youngsters who are so anxious to get across hurry over if they want to i'll take my time i am quite aware of the fact that the bosch will still be waiting there and far be it from me to unduly hasten the meeting 
at fenny stratford an adjutant takes me in hand and inculcates the first principles of such important trifles as esprit de corps then he turns me over to the officer in charge of the school he puts me through my paces to see what i know ever done any telegraphy ever heard of such things as circuits i inform him that i have taken an electrical course at cambridge which elicits an exclamation of pleased surprise then of course you've been in touch with the signallers all the time in france you know about cable laying airline rigging etc i allow that i am at least initiated into these intricate rites ever ridden a horse he asks me next well i ranched in bolivia for a few years good it won't take you any time to get on to the mounted drill i should think you'll be through it in about ten days through what did the man mean i don't know what sensation my expression signified but he goes on pleasantly in his reassuring voice oh yes another three weeks ought to see you back on the line my lord why haven't i learned to keep my mouth shut once more my spanish castle comes tumbling about my ears i always thought i was a fool now i know it my stay at the depot is not prolonged over two days then i am hustled off to haynes park bedfordshire and put into a drill class that has commenced the same day i get a mount poor beast if he were mine i'd either shoot him or pension him for the rest of his natural life however having taken one look at my sergeant-major riding-master i keep all such reflections to myself what a martinet the man is and heavens what a voice and tongue now gentlemen he bawls before beginning the class you're it a learn to ride an horse and i'm it a learn ye to do it i know very well as our year officers but the half hour year with me please remember year my pupils now then all who think they can ride ride out in front for a few seconds i hesitate the man has cowed me then i take a chance with two others where did you learn to ride he asked me sarcastically in ireland and then in bolivia oh he turns to the man next me a chap named finney i'm from northwest canada finney informs him i ain't inquiring about your birthplace i'm asking if you can ride what a terrible man but finney is not terrified well i've been at it twenty years he replies with a drawl the sergeant-major turns to the third poor chap he had learned in a london riding-school 
we are put through our paces in front of the class finney and i manage to qualify but the rider from london he is informed quite audibly that when it comes to managing horses he may be an excellent master of his mother's clothes horse as the first six of the ten days are devoted to teaching the others to sit astride finney and i are dismissed we have some grand gallops all over the country what a magnificent horseman that man was i doubt if i have ever seen his equal then for the last four days we are told to chip in and pick up the mounted drill required of a signal officer it isn't much and the horses well-trained brutes carry out the orders on their own account that over we are handed our certificates that is all of us who manage to qualify follow seven days leave another oasis in the desert from which we return to be placed on the list for the overseas draft for a week i do such routine duty as that of orderly officer or paying billets this last is incidental only to certain depots and camps where the number of men is too great for the regular accommodation they are placed with private people round a regulation which adds from fifteen to twenty-two shillings weekly to the coffers of the families chosen for the honour an officer is detailed to distribute the money at the end of the week i am chosen with several others for the doubtful honour of a cook's tour this tour consists of a two weeks visit to the firing line and its object is to give young officers an idea of their future duties before they are entrusted with a section of their own at the conclusion of the tour they return to england sometimes my case of course came among the exceptions some people have none of the luck end of section four